Thanks for this. Thanks for the chance to, to come and actually be here. We've visited before. We've, we've come and just worshipped with you, and we love, uh, we love your church. As Carl said, our ministry, we get to visit churches around the city, and it's a real privilege. It's an honor to get to be in churches and in different parts of the city and see what God is doing. And I can tell you this. Uh, I, I told Carl this already and Mitch. I love coming to this part of the city. Uh, you, the fact that you are the church and that you are a healthy church right here in this part of the city is essential to what God is doing, not just up in Tampa Heights, but in the city of Tampa. And I know that it's a small town, so you know people in other places, but I just want to encourage you, if nothing else this morning, thank you for being the church and thank you for being a healthy church and a Christ-centered church in this part of the city. It's a part of what God is doing in a bigger plan. And I love that you've been in Acts. I love that now we are going into Ephesians. If you could have asked me to come on any day uh, to do anything, I think introing the book of Ephesians is probably at the top of the list. If, how many people are familiar with this book? It's magnificent, like magnificent, magnificent. And I get to intro it. Sometimes we skip through the intros. I get to just intro it, and we can't even start in the book of Ephesians without being caught and captured by what Paul is saying. So we're going to get to that in a second. But it's important to say this. Pastor Appreciation Day is, I think, like next weekend or something. But part of our work is loving and caring for pastors, so it's on our radar and my mom's. Those are the, probably our ministry and my mom are the only two people that know that that's a thing. But it's, here's what I appreciate about your pastors and about you as a church, you have a high view of the scriptures. You have a high view of the word of God. And that is a gift. I don't know if you realize that. Sometimes we take things for granted because we're used to it. But don't ever, ever, ever take that for granted. It's easy to say we have a high view of the word of God. It's a different thing to walk through books of the Bible and to really get into them and to be taught and to come back to that. And your church does that. That's a gift uh, to not just us as people, but to the church and to the church in the city. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, when The other gift of getting to visit churches is that I don't know who I'm talking to. Uh, some of you may be elders of the church. Some of you may be like the saints who planted the, the church. Some of you may be walked in and said, I didn't know what I was going to, and now I'm at a church. Uh, others of you may have been brought by somebody, and you go, I don't know why I came, and if I would have known there's a substitute, those were the days you skipped for sure. Uh, so I don't know where you're at in that, but here's what I know. Growing up, I, if you would have asked me who the saints in my church were growing up, Names pop to mind, right? As a kid, there's a woman named Irma Thurstenau. She sounds like a saint for sure. <laughs> Irma Thurstenau. Like if you said, who are, the church, who are the saints at Redeemer City Church? And we don't have to say them out loud, but you know, like whose names fly to mind? As a kid, I would have pointed out Irma and then later in life, Diane Burton. Back in the day, the Grossnicklauses. That's also like a very saintly name. So I don't know, you don't have to say it out loud, but I'm sure some of you pop to, some names pop to mind. If you're anything like me, maybe you're kind of like me, my name never <laughs> popped to mind. If somebody would have said, like, who are the saints at the church? I would have pointed to those other folks, mostly the older folks. But I never in my mind would have considered myself part of that. I was outside of that. And we're going to get into that just a little bit. But I want to pray and then we'll dive in. Father, you are good. We just 
we're able to worship that through song and we could keep, God, it's echoing in our hearts this morning. Your grace and your love for us lays us low. The gift of your word is, is life-giving and it's a treasure. And God, I just confess this morning, mine can do nothing, yours can do everything. And I believe that this morning, Lord, that you can call us from death to life. In this room, you can quicken us to new life. You can birth a new life. You can set captives free. And you can open the eyes of the blind. God, these are the things that we come to you for because no one else can do them. You alone can forgive our sins and wash us clean. This is, God, why we have left everything else and we've come to you. We're hungry and we're thirsty for you. I pray that your word and your spirit would give us wisdom and revelation and that you would accomplish what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a Bible. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, and I'll let Mitch and Carl dive into all the history and the detail of that, but here's what is important to know right off the bat, that Paul wrote it, and he wrote it. Uh, There's two different schools of thought. One school of thought is that it went directly to the church of Ephesus, and he handed it to one of his partners, and they were going to carry it directly to the church of Ephesus. There's another theory that says that Paul intended it to be a circular letter that would land in the hands of many, many, many different people in the region. And so either way, some people say that that's the case because there was some manuscripts that didn't have Ephesus in them and that they said that that was added later. For us, for our purpose, it's a letter to the church. And it's beautiful because there's not a particular thing that's being addressed. Like some of the other letters address a sin or a failing or a celebratory thing. This is just kind of an exhortation to the church. And so when it lands in our hands, that's that's a gift to us today. So Paul wrote it, he wrote it from prison, and it was intended for the church. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen, amen. That closes what is considered a doxology, a praise of God 
that goes at the, the forefront of this letter. And so what Paul does, and it's so essential, you are going to get, I wish I could be here every week for the next bit of this series. I hope you go through all six chapters carefully. But the rest of Ephesians is going to flow from what Paul just said. And it's, he is not, he does not play around. The Apostle Paul is careful with his words. He's intentional with every word. And what he is doing is he's writing to the saints. He's writing to the church and he's setting them. He's almost soaring them. We just sang about the heights of God's love and being on the mountaintop. This is as if the Apostle Paul with his pen through the Holy Spirit takes us and seats us literally at the highest place of Christian theology. It's as if he takes us and moves us first. He says, come here, I want you to come with me. And we go to Everest in terms of Christian theology and he sets us right there. And it's as if we've all summited this morning. And we're looking around and the wind is blowing and it's magnificent. And you turn around 360 degrees, you have a view of everything else from that place. Paul's purpose and my purpose this morning is to pull our minds right to where he was hoping to bring us to and set us in that place so that as you go to chapter 2 and chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, that you would see it, that we would see it from this vantage point. Vitally important that this is how we see and understand the rest of the book. We're going to talk about marriage, spiritual warfare, the truth and the ethic of the Christian community, being one in Christ, that there's no Jew or Gentile, there's now one new creation. All of that is going to come from this letter. But Paul sets it purposefully, pulls us to the highest place and says, we start here. That's a beautiful thing. And if we imagine this as a circular letter that was handed around and you grabbed that letter and we each had a copy of this manuscript from Paul and it rested in our hand, the first thing we might notice is that he says to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you hand it to the person next to you or do you keep it? This is this is what Paul is driving right at. And what he's about to do is soar us through from that high place. He's about to take us through this beautiful Trinitarian, almost legal expository case that he's going to lay out to say that that is true. Because our thoughts sometimes stray and they're not his thoughts. Our economy is not God's economy. Our feelings betray us. And it's as if Paul hands you the letter and says to the saints in Tampa Heights. And for a second you go, that must mean Mitch. (laughs) And he goes, Camden, take that. Like, we just keep handing it. That's got to be for somebody else. That surely ain't for me. Because if you knew me, I am not included in that, you know, the saints, the old saints, the faithful saints. If you knew my Saturday, if you knew my drive in, if you knew Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't know that this is for me. Paul hands it to us and he is master. He's a he's the Supreme Court of the Jewish community. He's a legal scholar. 
And so we're on we're in tricky ground playing like, have you ever, you know, battled a battle of wits with Paul? You don't want to do this. We'll lose. And he's about to put checkmate to us. But he hands the letter. He puts it and he says, this is to the saints. And that impulse in us goes, I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I can sit with this letter. You may be sitting here and go, well, I don't even really know Jesus. I know I've heard of Jesus. And Paul says, I want you to listen to this. And he says to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he makes the case and listen to the case he makes. So imagine yourself holding that letter and we go, I don't know if that is me. Here's what Paul says. He says, praise be to God, the father. Remember, he's going to take a Trinitarian sweep. The father, the son, the spirit, nothing left unsaid. He knows exactly how he's going to build his case. He says, God, the father, the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Pause right there. The first thing Paul does is he says to the saints and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, here's number one. You didn't choose him. He chose you. God was the first mover. And what is being said here in the, 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 the doctrine of election, we can debate that over pizza and whatever you guys eat in Tampa Heights. You can debate that as long as you want to debate that. It's It's a mystery. There's this mysterious thing in marriage that happens and it happened with Cammie and I that I got to say, I chose you. And Cammie might look at me and say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. (laughs) You got to ask, but I said yes. Where's that line? I don't know. Did she choose me or did I choose her? Did we choose each other? Was there a first mover? This is what scripture says. Apart from him, we are what in our sin? We're dead. There is no movement. There's no unction. There's no love for God. Scripture makes it absolutely clear that God had to move first. He came towards us. By His grace, God moved toward us. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, in the beginning of all time, before the foundation of the world, God saw, He watched this play out in His creation. And this, there is a word here that's talking about pulling us out. And he says, listen, this is what has happened to you. This is the truth of God, that you were separate and apart from God without hope. You'll get that later in Ephesians. And he says, what God did is that he chose you. He reached to you and he welcomed you into life with him. And that he had that in his mind before the foundation of the world. Do we believe that? part of our saintly status. Part of this thing that Paul says is true about us is not that we make ourselves saints or that we decide that this guy, he prayed for me this morning, he must be the saint. This is not Paul's theology. Paul's theology is that none of us were even alive and able to move towards God. And yet God moved towards man. This should set us free this morning. And you start to see the, the word grace appear. If we could have some cool thing that just mystically like brought grace out. The entire sermon is just going to sear that word of grace, hopefully, on our lives. Because Paul's saying that God chose us. We didn't choose him before the creation of the world. And he destined us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He adopted us as his sons through Christ Jesus. This was his will. 
that we would be perfect. That we would be holy as He is holy. And certainly now we're handing the letter to somebody else and going, well, if that's what the saints are, chosen, okay, I can maybe go with you there, that God saw something, I was His creation, I get you, maybe He chose me. But holy and blameless? No. Paul's theology continues. This Trinitarian beautiful thing. He says, in him, I'm in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That's a beautiful word. With all wisdom and understanding. Do you believe that? This is the highest, highest summit of Christian theology. That while we were still sinners, while we were separate and apart from God, under His wrath, God chose us. Why did He do it? What merit? Why would He call us out? Why would He separate us out and welcome us into communion with Him? Deuteronomy gives us a beautiful picture in Deuteronomy 7. Listen to Him talking about the nation of Israel, about His people. I will have a people. I will be their God. They will be my people. Listen to what He says about them. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Listen to this. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with his mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. From the power of Pharaoh in Egypt, no Therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Praise God. Why did he choose you? Say it again. Love, 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 love. God chose us. Creation was separate from God, dead in our sin. Paul's theology at the summit of Ephesians says, that's where creation was. Do you see it from his vantage point? And then he says, you're, somebody's like, don't break my pedal. <laughs> I will try not to. He's here and he says, and God reached and he chose you. And if there's anything in you that starts to say, well, starts to make an equation, it says, well, maybe he chose them. He chose the Jews. He chose the Greeks. He chose the slaves. He chose the free. He chose the men, the women, the children, the non-leper, the leper. We start to do the math and we try to figure out who's in and who's out. And this is what God says. He says, I chose you. I welcomed you back into relationship with me, not out of any merit of your own, but because I what? I loved you. Do you believe that? This is the God who made Everest. And he says, Everest is just something I built so that you could stand there and try to get a glimpse of what it is to see like I see. He says, I love you. Well, I am not holy and blameless. He says, I am. And I chose you because I love you. And because I've adopted you, you are what? Holy and blameless. Do you believe that? It's an absolutely stunning truth. Absolutely stunning truth. So stunning, so hard to get our mind around that it is blasphemous or was blasphemous for Paul at one time. He persecuted people who seemed to adopt this new way of thinking. And yet now he's standing with us as we've summited Everest and he's saying, listen to me, before we even talk about anything else, I must convey to you 
that you are the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus, that you have been adopted, you have been chosen not by any merit of your own, but because of God's absolute radical love for you, he chose you. And after he chose you, he adopted you. And he has completely washed you clean. By giving his life on the cross, you are holy, you are blameless, you are adopted, you are the saints in faithful in Christ Jesus in Tampa Heights. Do you believe that? See, now we start to hold the letter and we're like, what do you have for us, Paul? Before I wanted to hand, <laughs> like, get me out of here. I came to church because my wife wanted me to or because I think it's good for my kids or because I felt guilty about something or because I felt like they could do the financial peace thing and I could fix my money situation, whatever it is. Those are all fine to talk about, but I'm telling you the church of God exists. The church of God exists for a particular purpose. And for us to talk about that, and that's what's coming next, we cannot get to that without first rooting ourselves in this highest place of Christian theology. And I'm telling you, salvation comes every time the word of God goes out. And you might be hearing this story and go, I have never heard that story clearly. And sometimes God just works on us and works on us and one waters and one plants and one God causes it to grow. I'm telling you this. If this morning you are hearing this, separate from God, don't give me that letter. And you're hearing Paul unfold the truth of Christian theology that the Father chooses and he sends the Son to lay his life down to make us holy and blameless so that he could adopt us because he loves us. That message is directly for your heart this morning. That God loves you so much that he chose you. He moved first. Before the foundation of the world, how long has he been waiting for you to move to him? Isn't that beautiful? I waited a while for Cammy. I knew super fast that I wanted to marry her. Years before I got to ask her. And what a joy when she said yes and leaned in. The thing that would enlarge God's heart and give him the greatest joy today is if somebody who has yet to move towards him hears of his love this morning and says, no way, he loves me. And he foreknew to adopt me and he forgave me to make me holy and blameless. And that person says, I love you back. The highest joy in heaven is right there. Isn't that beautiful? That might be your story. We'll get back to that. Paul goes on and he uses this incredible language. He says that we exist for the praise of his what? the praise of His glory, the praise of the glory of His grace. This is what I want to drive home this morning, that we are anchored in the grace of God. That is who we are. We are the saints and the faithful in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone. This is our story. This is our song. And Paul says, now that you understand that, now that you understand that, once we start to get a glimpse of that, then something masterful happens. Because behind us and within us and around us is the grace of God. And then he says, and you exist for the praise of his glory, for the praise of that glorious grace. You are alive for the praise of his glory. Let me paint this picture really quickly and then we'll wrap this toward a close. But listen to this. 
It's as if we were in prison, locked up in our cells, chained, shackled in prison. And the judge himself said, I am going to come in there and I'm going to take your place and unshackled you, released you. This is the gospel. We've heard it. We've heard it. You leave and this judge takes your place and he sits down and he says, you're free. And if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption or any other epic prison movie, there's always that release moment where, I don't know if this actually happened in the Shawshank Redemption, but I'm imagining standing outside a penitentiary and it's lonely, right? Not a lot of people. It's not like Costco. Everybody's in the parking lot. I've been to the penitentiary, not myself incarcerated, (laughs) but I've been to visit and it's a lonely parking lot. It's kind of a strange parking lot. There's not a lot of action in the parking lot. Imagine that you are outside the penitentiary now. Day one, hour one, minute one. And you go, now what? Ten minutes ago, I was on death row. Without hope and without God. I had nowhere to go. I, my life was defined by these walls, these chains, this narrative. That's all I had. And because of this incredible grace, the one who should send me there and keep me there and condemn me there said, I didn't come to condemn you, but to set you free. You're free to go and let you go outside. And now you stand here outside the walls with these walls behind you and you go, what's next? This is where Paul would come along, put his arm around you and he'd say, everything in front of you exists for the praise of his glory. Do you want to get ice cream? You go, I don't know. Do you want to make eye contact with someone and have them smile? I don't know. This is the beautiful thing. We are alive for the praise of his glory. I'm not saying that you have to muster the strength and be like, okay, I heard a good sermon. I, I want to go live with unction. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on my calves. So. You don't have to muster up, okay, this is a list of how I live for the praise of his glory. That's not what he's saying. He picks you up, takes you outside and says, you're alive. Take a breath. It's for the praise of his glory. That glorifies the grace of God. The fact that you're standing outside the prison puts on display the grace of a God who says, I am loved. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Get ice cream. Say hi. Go tell somebody else. Go point to him. Our whole life puts on display that we exist for the praise of this glorious grace of a God who chose us, set us apart, adopted us, made us saints, all through his own doing. We did nothing of this. Here's my question. We say it's only true if it's true. That is truth. Paul says this is the truth. I ask you, is this your truth? Has that truth, is this your truth? Do you say yes? That is how I define life now. That I was once a captive. I was once a prisoner. I was once the condemned. And now I am free. And my life now exists to be for the praise of his glory. It's my why. People always say you need to know your why. Why do I do? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I do foster care? Why do I teach in the schools? Why do I forgive? Why do I pray for my enemy? Why do I cross the street? Why do I go for the other side? Why do I say hello? Why do I enjoy ice cream? 
and savor it and go, chocolate? Who thought of that? Everything about my life is for the praise of His glory. This is my prayer. This is my prayer for this series, first and foremost, that that you would look at everything else from a position of grace. Because everything else is just kind of an understanding of what is it to live according to the praise of His glory. What does that look like? Unpack that for us, Paul. But what he says is, this is true. You are the saints in Christ Jesus. Don't doubt it. It does not... It does not lift up proper Christian theology for us to say, no, nah, that's not me. Sometimes we don't, we feel boastful. Like if I said, who's the saints in Redeemer City? Who are the saints? There's some sort of thing in us that wants to be like, well, certainly not me. It must be you. What God says is, boast in your weakness, buddy. Because as you say, no, I, that... Funny enough, I am one of the saints at Ephesus. And people are like, you? You go, yeah, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. It makes no sense to me either, but for the grace of God. You remember the Apostle Paul? In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, the grace of God was not without what? Effect in my life. And he boasts about it. Here's my question. What effect has the grace of God had in your life? Because Paul says the grace of God was not without effect. He came to know this God who foreknew him and adopted him and loved him and forgave him and called him a saint who was once a persecutor. He came face to face with him and he came to know him. And his whole life changed. And he said the grace of God was not without effect in my life. I live for the praise of his glory. I pray that you would consider that as you go through Ephesians, but I pray more immediately that you would consider that for whatever God is calling to mind right now in your heart and mind. Because you may have been at war with your neighbor, with your spouse. You may have had suspicions and animosities about someone else. There could be divisions in this very room. These are the things that are true in a broken world. And the cross comes into this place and says, no, you are swimming in a story of grace. That you are alive for the praise of his glorious grace. This is your reality. And so the next words you say, let them be said from a place that has been marked by God's grace. Don't let them fly out of those lips until they have first been marinated by the grace of God. And if you need to forgive somebody, forgive them, just as you've been forgiven. If you need to believe, maybe for the first time, that you are holy and blameless in Christ, apart from Him, no, not the case. In Christ, blameless. Maybe your shoulders have been forward rolled, head down, the storm, the voice of an accuser. Paul takes us to this highest place and says there's nothing that God does not see. There's nothing that he didn't account for. 
And so if you have put your trust in Christ Jesus, if you've welcomed him to adopt you, you are holy and blameless because of the blood of Christ. That freedom is supposed to penetrate to the very core of your DNA. To set you free. To allow you to lift your head. To look someone in the eye. Maybe yourself. And say, I'm forgiven. I'm adopted. I'm chosen. I'm a saint. Faithful in Christ. When the church begins to understand its identity, marinated in the grace of God, when we understand that Paul has quite literally, and he'll say this later, seated us with Christ Jesus, we will love different, we will pray different, we will walk different, but it only comes from letting him fix our eyes directly on him. That's my prayer for us as individuals scattered and us as the church gathered. We're going to close in worship and close and what we're going to do is actually lay hold of this truth with the elements and we get to to hold it in our hands. And Jesus when he was with his disciples knew he saw how he saw how difficult it is for us to hear grace. And he didn't want one ounce of daylight, one little bit of leaven, one little bit of question in us. He wanted it to be absolutely clear that his love is for us and that his work is complete and it is finished upon the cross. And so he said, every time you get together, I want you to do this for me. I want you to take this bread and I want you to take this cup and I want you to remember these words that I have said to you. I didn't just speak them as words, but they came in power the power of a God who sent his son and let his body be broken and his blood be poured out for the absolute forgiveness of your sins so that there would be no question in our minds. This is not us. This is all him. And we hold in our hands his body and his blood. And we say, for the praise of his glorious grace, I am alive. I am alive because you died and you rose and you gave that life to me. I am alive. And I am a saint in Christ Jesus because of your body and your blood given and shed for me. Amen, amen.